my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. iHeartRadio presents Podversations, a weekly discussion with the biggest names and influencers in podcasting. Want to learn the secret psych-up ritual scrub stars Zach Braff and Donald Faison use before every fake doctor's real friends taping? How Vice News parachutes into war zones to rescue journalists from life-threatening situations? Or why Keegan-Michael Key and Blumhouse believe 3D audio is the future of storytelling? Whether you're a newbie trying to break into the podcast game or an exec trying to refine your playbook, Podversations is the easiest way to keep your pulse on the industry. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for coming back and joining us for what is very honestly my favorite half hour of the week, where I get to sit down and have a conversation with creators in this amazing industry that I get to work in called podcasting. We spend this 30 minutes every week talking to some creators in our own network, some folks outside our company that we admire. We tried to do this across the whole year as we've all gone into a very interesting year and quarantine and not been able to hang out with each other as much. And I think it sort of kept us abreast of what's happening in podcasting. That's continued to be this just exploding, incredible new medium that great creators like the ones we get to talk to today are working in. We announced recently a partnership with an incredible new-ish podcast network called Pushkin Industries. It's from Malcolm Gladwell and Jacob Weisberg. Um, we announced this a, f- a couple weeks ago. We are incredibly excited and proud 
to be in partnership with Pushkin. And I have the great fun and privilege and honor to talk to Malcolm and Jacob today for a half an hour. Malcolm, Jacob, first of all, thank you guys so much for hanging out with us for a half hour to talk through some stuff. Thank you, Connell. I should say we're super excited about this partnership too. And I'm only sorry that we can't do some version of this in person and meet your team, but this is next best thing. Awesome. Okay, let's jump in. So it's not like I think we need to break the ice, but why not with a couple questions. Malcolm, I will start with you. Been a very kind of weird year indeed, and we're all spending like a lot more time inside I think actually more time with media. I know that usually I spend maybe a week, two, three weeks, a month watching a show on my favorite streaming platforms. These days I'll binge a show in like two or three days. My latest was Killing Eve. What are you binging? What are you watching? Every show that you would expect. I just finished Queen's Gambit last night. I did Emily in Paris, but I've done like Jiri Haji was my, one of my favorites of the year. I could go on. I've consumed more media in the last eight months than at any other point in my life. It's kind of been <laughs> extraordinary. Yeah, I think I've actually climbed to the peak of peak content. Why Queen's Gambit? Like, why is this the number one trending show on all the things that trend shows? Don't ask me. I, I watch it because other people were watching. I, I've become a total Netflix sheet. I just go to what they say I should watch. So I don't even yeah. question it anymore. Yeah. Yeah, same as me. I was like, well, it's trending. I guess I should keep it trending, maybe? Jacob, over to you. What book are you reading to get much more sophisticated about this? Yeah, I mean, just know that you asked Malcolm what TV he's watching. <laughs> It'd be what I'm reading, uh, which is about part of the course. Well, I, I watch all the same TV Malcolm does, of course, because I just say, Malcolm, what are you watching? And then I watch the same stuff. But I am reading to be further on trend. I've just started Obama's memoir, A Promised Land, which... So far, and I'm not very far into it, I would say is only the second high-quality post-presidential memoir in American history. And quiz question for both of you, what's the other one? Oh. You don't really have to guess, but the answer, interestingly, <laughs> is, is Ulysses S. Grant, oh, who, wow. who wrote a fantastic post-presidential memoir that was so good that there was a persistent rumor it was ghostwritten by Mark Twain who didn't actually write it, as Grant wrote it, but Twain kind of coached him on it and gave him some editing help. Anyway, it points to what a good and real writer Obama is, that it's in that league. And it's fun to read because he's a real writer and it wasn't written by anybody but him. That's really cool. That was on the tip of my tongue as my answer, by the way. Just <laughs> Let me get in a little bit into background. So like I, I've always said, like I think one of the coolest things about the podcast medium is that it's new enough that I don't know anybody that started out in this medium as their job. They were all doing something before this. And I think it means that when you have meetings about developing a podcast, people bring crazy diverse experience to the table, whether it's TV, film, writing, or something else entirely that they were doing. Malcolm, what were you doing before you were a podcaster? And as a part two of that question, even now, like, how do you answer the question, what do you do for a living? Well, I was writing for The New Yorker, writing books, giving talks speeches. I've dropped the writing for the New Yorker. I now write audiobooks. I don't know if I'll write a print book again. And I still do some truncated version of the speaking gigs. So what do I say? I say, I guess I say I'm a podcaster. People don't have, I say that I'm in business with Jacob Weisberg. That's what I say. 
think that's the best way to answer. I think Jacob Weisberg said yeah. he's in business with Jacob Weisberg. But let, let me drill into one thing before I go over to Jacob. When you say you won't do any more print books, just audio books, what's that about? I think that um, for the kinds of stories I want to tell, audio is just better. So my last book, Talking to Strangers, we're now up to close to a million copies, audiobook copies, and 600 or 700,000 print copies. So the audiobook is how well outsold the print book and made me think, you know, at a certain point, do I even need to worry about the print book? Why don't I just, I have a, we have a large audio audience and audio allows you to tell a story in such a compelling, emotionally powerful way. And if I was only doing it as an audiobook, I would do a different kind of book. And that different kind of book is actually the kind of book I think I want to write now. So I might've written my last print book. And I don't mean to rabbit hole on this so early in the conversation, but like I read a book as a kid, I build an imaginary world in my head off the text, but you're saying audio allows you to maybe do certainly something different, but maybe even something more than that. Maybe just talk through that a little bit. What does audio drive in the human sort of theater of the mind, all this terminology we use that maybe you don't get from just quote unquote print? Well, you get emotion. You give up on analytical, really hard to do a lot of numbers when you're talking or deal with some complicated theory. But but on the plus side, you get emotion, you get just hearing there's certain kinds of voices. Like I did a, I'm going to name drop. Is it okay if I name drop? Please. Yesterday for a project we're working on, I interviewed Sting, who is like, you know, one of the five most charismatic human beings of the last hundred years. You kind of have to hear Sting. Yeah. Like you don't want to read a transcript of what he said. And then Sting said, <laughs> I like that track. No, no, no. When you hear him and he's like just being super sting-like and he's being hilarious and he's making these little asides and he, you know, starts to sing something. I mean, you got to hear that, right? At a certain point, you have to say to yourself, do I want to give people the real experience or do I want to just kind of do a, a lousy version of it on the page? According to the last person who updated the internet, the first job you tried to get was in advertising and you would not get hired anywhere. You applied to all these companies. You were a youngster, I assume, fresh out of college. Is this story true? 28 rejection letters, which I posted on the wall of my, on my dorm room wall. <laughs> <laughs> what were you doing so wrong in these interviews? Like what happened? I never even got interviews, rejected outright. I got one interview and years later, I, you know, the con, advertising conference yep. every year. Yeah, I got yeah. invited to speak at Con, and I told the story about how I got rejected 28 times. And then I said, when you guys go back, please look through the piles on your desk because I'm quite convinced my resume <laughs> is down there somewhere. <laughs> and I'm still looking. Jacob, what was your first job out of college? I started working in journalism right after college. I think my first one was at Newsweek and I spent the summer after college in the Washington Bureau which was a lot of fun. I was already very focused then on having a career as a journalist covering politics, which I did for a long time until I got into podcasting. Your last job before being a full-time podcaster? Well, I was running Slate. I was um, been the editor-in-chief and then I was sort of the CEO. I became more and more responsible for that. But it was also it was sort of a dual role because I had founded a company that changed its name to Megaphone, what was originally called Panoply, and was recently in the news because a company that shall be nameless acquired it for a lot of money. And interestingly, you know, I'd started 
Panoply, as it was then known as a content company, something a little more like Pushkin, what yeah. Pushkin was like, but I wasn't the CEO, I wasn't running it, and it kind of got away from me. It somehow turned into a technology company when I'd meant to have, you know, I'd started this podcast with Malcolm, which I thought was a pretty good idea. Anyway, one thing led to another, but uh, we decided to try to get it right the second time. So again, in the interest of, is the person that last updated the internet accurate? You're an undergrad, I think, at Yale. Did you really decline to become a member of the Skull and Bones group, and why? That is a true story. I'm, I'm not sure why that's on the Wikipedia page. Um, I prefer to have the things I did do as opposed to things <laughs> I didn't do. But they didn't have women at the time. And I thought, if I say no, this is a chance to impress my girlfriend and my mom with the same same action. You don't get many shots like that. So, And it worked. They were both impressed that I turned them down. I think that's a pretty cool thing to have on your Wikipedia page, I got to say. M Malcolm, back over to you real quick. So I actually, in, in maybe slightly more seriously, I think that this year in particular, being a tougher year than most for a lot of us, I think it's an important year, particularly for your voice. I think if I could oversimplify the heck out of your approach, you make us look at familiar things differently. You make us sort of question settled truths, assumptions. Your first book, The Tipping Point, started in part because of your interest in epidemiologists, how they looked at the world, especially as far as the AIDS epidemic went. How did you think about that this year? Like, do you think still about epidemiologists? Is it a year where you're like, I just wish I could give them all a big hug or be angry at them. Like, what do you know about them that maybe we could learn? I have thought about them and I've thought about them a lot because many of the same names who I knew back in when I was, I used to cover HIV for AIDS for the Washington Post. Many of the same people I was writing about and talking to are still, are now in the center of COVID, chief among them, Tony mm -hmm. Fauci. I mean, mm -hmm. You know, Pushkin actually published a Fauci book by my former Washington Post and New Yorker colleague, Michael Spector. Michael and I were on that, we're together. We, we knew Fauci back, you know, we call him and all that, and many of these other names pop up again. So it's a familiar territory. I guess I do think about it a fair amount. I think about how this group of people always get marginalized. So we listen to them in these brief windows when there's a crisis, like, year three and four of the AIDS epidemic. And then we listen to them around, sort of, around COVID. But there's a 30-year stretch between those two events when they're off in the wilderness again. Nobody much cares about them. It's a very strange kind of profession to have where you alternate between brief periods where the world will hang on your every word and long stretches where the world cuts off all your funding and doesn't care even remotely what you have to say. Yeah, it's interesting. You and I were talking about before we went live on this webinar about the CDC. I live right near the CDC and I have friends who work there and I think this isn't their terminology, but they feel like the extreme version of a fair weather friend where it's like, oh, now you'd like to talk. And I think that's a good sort of summary of how they probably feel in a year like 2020. But more personally for you, so you're born in England, mom is Jamaican, grew up in Canada, now live in the States. In a year like 2020, do you feel more passionately American than ever, where you want us to get it more right than we have in the past? Or do you feel more like an outsider than ever, where you're like, not my problems? Like, where do you land? The great virtue of having multiple nationalities to choose from is that I get to switch depending on what's most in my self-interest at the moment. So <laughs> I've been, for the last four years, I've been a Canadian. 
<laughs> well, just so you know, during the Olympics, when Usain Bolt was winning all those, I was Jamaican then. So <laughs> I, you know, like called nationalistic opportunity. Exactly. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure, I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic, oracle.com slash strategic. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Jacob, back over to you on getting more into podcasting. So you and Malcolm launched this thing called Pushkin Industries. I think it's fair to say it roars onto the scene in what's already a hot medium podcasting that's now at almost 100 million Americans a month listening to a podcast. Here comes Pushkin Industries. Now, granted, neither one of you are newbies to podcasting. Malcolm, you host a couple incredible shows like Revisionist History Jacob, you told us about your history, whether it's Megaphone or the Slate Panoply podcast, incredible backgrounds. But I'm interested in that moment where you and Malcolm are sitting together, if this moment exists, maybe it's just my mythology wanting it to be, where you actually look at each other and say, you know what, we should launch a podcast network. Let's actually do this. What's that moment like? What drove that? Well, I can describe the actual moment. We were on summer vacation in Italy. I was renting a house. Malcolm was visiting us from somewhere else. He was staying in Italy. And he came down to breakfast. And I was already down at breakfast ha having a cup of coffee. 
And I said, Malcolm, why don't we just start a podcast company? And he said, sure, let's do it. And that was, a you know, then we talked about it for a little bit. But, you know, I think it was, it came out of, of a lot of different things, but more than anything else, the success we'd had with revisionist history, how much Malcolm was enjoying it, how well it was working. And just, you know, I think a combination of the storytelling opportunity, which we were both really reveling in, the things you could do there that you couldn't do in other media, but also that there was a real commercial opportunity. And, you know, I worked for many years in journalism in what I call the no-profit sector. And, you know, it was uh, kept Slate alive for a long time. And, you know, but Slate, like a lot of other high-quality magazines on and offline, have always struggled. And, you know, it was a kind of marginal existence. And I think part of what was exciting about podcasting was the business really seemed to work. And that just that combination made me excited about starting a new company. Why Pushkin? Where'd that name come from? I'll let Malcolm do that one. Well, there's a there's the pretentious answer, the non-pretentious answer. Pushkin, of course, is a famous Russian poet and also biracial. So he's a very appropriate role model for me. But the actual reason is that Arthur's dog was a lab German shepherd mutt who my dad called Pushkin, Doug Pushkin. And everything since then I have called Pushkin. I got five different Pushkins. I call, you know, I <laughs> my for a while I called my apartment Pushkin and so the Pushkins have just multiplied. This is the latest iteration of the Pushkin meme in my life. I think we could get that trending, sort of like Queen's Gambit. Which, I don't know. I'm doing a Pushkin on at noon on Thursday <laughs> with iHeartRadio. Malcolm, what was that moment like for you? Breakfast in Italy. You're talking with Jacob. He's like, you know what? Let's launch a podcast network. W was there a party that was like, I'm good? Or were you all in? I was in. Uh, Jacob summoned me. I was on a uh, holiday with my family. And he said, you have to come. I have something I want to talk to you about. So I fly down to Italy and I, Jacob from France, and Jacob normally, his wife has exquisite taste. So I was expecting this villa like overlooking some mountainside. I mean, I really thought I was gonna, turns out they had rented this pokey little place <laughs> by the side of the road. I was like, what on earth is happening? And then, but, <laughs> but I come down one morning at Jacob and I thought, why not? I mean, I had been, saying to Jacob for years that I thought he was, although I think he's a brilliant journalist, I always thought he would be a better businessman. I don't know why I thought, I just thought that. And it turns out to be true, by the way. Um, but anyway, so I thought I was delighted. It was like, how much fun? And also it's an excuse to spend time with your friend. I mean, yeah. what better use of your time? And Jacob, besides the business model of this, what was sort of the editorial mandate or mission that you had in mind when you were like, let's actually launch a company around this. Was there an editorial goal too of like, I'd, I'd like to make this kind of content? Yeah, I think so. You know, so much of podcasting, at least the sort of high end of it, comes out of the world of public radio and they have certain style and certain values and, you know, they're very, producers really drive things. But I was really interested in working with authors because as a, mm -hmm. I'm an author myself and as a magazine editor, I'd always worked with authors. And I thought it was such interesting sort of alchemy you got when you put someone like Malcolm, who never worked in audio before, when you tried to make a podcast with him. And it was just very, very different. Just sounds really different from Radio Lab or This American Life or, you know, lots of the signature shows of public radio and podcasting. And, you know, then I brought in Michael Lewis to do a podcast and we're doing a podcast with Jill Lepore. And I, what I was finding was these writers who were pretty well along in their careers got so excited 
about working in a new medium because of the storytelling potentialities that they never had. And it was what you were talking about a minute ago, the way people's imaginations are triggered by listening as opposed to just reading or as opposed to video. One of the books I wrote back in the day was a biography of Ronald Reagan. And Ronald Reagan, of course, got his start in radio, was very savvy about this. And um, after Ronald Reagan, a little bit of political history, if you don't mind, ran for president and lost in 1976, he was the leader of the Republican Party, but out of office. And he got offered the job of being the nightly editorial commentator on CBS News, which was the biggest news program in the United States. You know, no better editorial platform. And he turned it down in favor of doing a syndicated radio show. And he said his reason was when people see you all the time, they get tired of looking at you. Mm -hmm. But when they hear your voice and don't see you, they use their own imaginations. And it's a real thing. People engage actively with the disembodied voice in a way they don't with any other medium. And that's sort of, I think, what people who start working in it for the first time experience. Um, and why people are so into it. Do you think that carries over into, just, just to get into more of the business side of this for a second, does that carry over into why podcasts perform so freaking well for advertisers? Is it because you have a sort of one-to-one -one relationship, immersive relationship with your listener? I don't mean to lead the witness, but the data bears this out again and again. Podcast ad campaigns perform better than most other media. People don't skip podcast ads. It is actually pretty compelling. Do you think it's all part of that same engagement? I mean, let's just put it bluntly. It's the only medium in which people don't hate the ads. Everywhere else, ads are like a tax on the content. You got to absorb it. You're, you're required to do it. Or maybe you can get out of it by skipping it or leaving the room TV. On podcasts, people have the option to skip the ads and, and to an incredible degree don't. And if you listen, I mean, you know, Malcolm, he talked about his being a frustrated ad man, but, you know, he has such a good time doing the ads. And I always say they're in danger of upstaging the content of his show. They're enjoyable to listen to. And I'm not sure you need to say anything more than that. People want to listen to the ads. The ads are going to be more effective than they are in other media where people don't want to absorb the ads. Malcolm, how do you think about ads? I mean, I remember like literally to Jacob's point, uh, listening to Revisionist History, but then also one of the things I remember the best are some ad reads you did because they were super funny and super creative. How do you approach those with sort of your brain space? Are you like, you think a ton about like, well, how does it go? Well, there's a certain kind of ad I love doing, which is the tongue-in-cheek one. There's some sense of mischief. You know, I love advertising. Why I wanted to go into it as a kid, and I'm a sort of a student of ads. And one of the things I've noticed is that I feel like lately in a lot of establishment ads, television commercials and such, a little bit of the fun has been drained out of it. There used to be, maybe I'm wrong, a lot more kind of mischief and humor and goofiness and chance-taking. If you, I was thinking about recently about, um, you know, the remember the, the ad Spike Lee did for Nike back in the day? Oh, yeah. We, there's nothing like that on television right now. And I think with podcasting, there's an opportunity to go back to that sort of magical period because the audience doesn't have a narrow and strict definition of what they expect an ad to be. They'll take anything. They're like along for the ride. Can I share my favorite ad I ever did? There's a bunch of them, but one yes. of them was for Hotels Tonight where... It was all about Psycho, and I've forgotten the name of the actress, 
the, so the woman is looking, she's fleeing from some criminal who's out to get her. And she's looking for a place to, you know, she's driving, it's raining, it's dark. She needs a hotel to stay at. Her only choice is the Bates Hotel. And the whole <laughs> point of the ad is like, if she only had hotel tonight, she wouldn't have to stay in a hotel with a psycho. <laughs> I remember it. I remember it. Janet Lee. I totally remember it. I think that, and by the way, Jacob, I totally agree. Writers as podcasters, just to not overlook that, we've launched a show called Committed. We launched a show called Family Secrets. We've launched a show called Before Breakfast, all with established, well-selling writers. And these are some of the best shows we've launched. I think the writers bring in a rigor to their prep and their storytelling that is pretty unique. I think that's at least a little bit where podcasting has come from, especially in the last year. A lot of that's thanks to you guys bring a lot of really awesome writers into the medium. But Malcolm, I'm interested to get your take on where do you think the medium's going? Maybe we'll spend the last two and a half minutes here just talking about that. Obviously, true crime for a long time dominated podcasting. And maybe it's like a two-sided question. Why do you think that is? Why do you think true crime is the genre of the last decade or so since serial and podcasting, but also like, what are you excited about next? Like what's another genre that podcasting could tackle thinking, I think what limits us a lot in podcasting, or at least has for the last 10 years, is like, well, that's kind of a visual genre. We better not go there, but we're seeing things like food and travel start to jump. Maybe those two questions, why crime and where next? Well, crime, because crime is always, I mean, think about television, yeah, um, law and order and, you know, the true crime is just our staple. I even think about, I'm someone who reads enormous numbers of thrillers. So I just feel that for some reason, the human mind loves the, that particular genre. So that has never surprised me. My suspicion is that in podcasting, a lot of the kind of arbitrary institutional barriers that separate things are going to break down. So a podcast can, you know, the lines between books and podcasts, the lines between commentary and narration, the lines, all these kinds of things. I think what we're just, we call ourselves an audio company because we sort of think that almost anything can be an audio product. There isn't this narrow thing called a podcast. It's just a kind of way to reach people. And as long as you are saying something they want to hear, there's no, there's no reason you can't do a food show. And so Jacob, over to you for the last question. We've announced this big partnership with you guys, not just to grow your audiences as best we can, to drive revenue for you uh, through great advertising partnerships, but also to make a lot of new content with you guys, right? A big part of our partnership is a co-production slate of cool new shows we're going to launch. What do you think is next for Pushkin? How do you want to use those resources? What kind of content in particular are you like, oh, awesome, now I can make this kind of stuff? Well, I think it's really an opportunity for us to branch out, you know, and I think we've already, we haven't even formally started yet, but we've already been, you know, throwing ideas at you and, and vice versa. And so we see it as a really creative partnership beyond the sales side. We're excited to try things. You know, I think we're experimenters by nature, and we just want to make sure that everything we do is a really smart and good version of what it's trying to be. You know, one of our next launches, which is we have some shows already in the pipeline, is a true, kind of our first true crime show called Lost Hills, which we're doing with Dana Goodyear, an amazing New Yorker writer. And it wasn't that we didn't want, we weren't turning up our nose at true crime, but because there's so much of it, we feel like it just raises the bar for us in terms of how good something has to be. We think we finally got it 
with this show. But we're talking to you guys about a whole range of stuff, and I wouldn't take anything off the table. Awesome. Listen, guys, I know you are busy. I know you have a lot of other stuff going on in your lives, not to mention you know, growing this incredible podcast company that you've launched. I really do appreciate you taking a half hour to talk to me during the week and, and letting people listen in on it. It means a lot to us. The trust that you've put into iHeart with this partnership, we're going to make some awesome stuff together. Really appreciate that too. Thank you very much for joining us today for this thing. Thank you, Connell. This was great. Really a pleasure. Conversations is a production of iHeartRadio. You can find more from the biggest names in podcasting on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.